Hey guys, Pastor Ben. Thank you for joining us here on FCC Online. We are truly thankful and appreciate you taking the time to watch and listen to our messages. One thing that I do want to encourage you to do is as you're watching these, please don't allow these to be your primary resource in your spiritual journey and your walk with Jesus. Keep these as a supplement to what you do on a weekly basis from the gathering, uh, being connected, being part of a life of a local church body. We want these to bless you. We want these messages and these videos to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. But please do not allow these to replace anything that you have to do with a local church body. Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 3 today. Now, here in just a moment, we're going to be reading the entirety of chapter 3, and we're going to be talking today about holding fast. That's the title of my message is to hold fast. Now, before we get into uh, the, the real meat of chapter 3, I want to kind of preface this a little bit because there was an area of chapter 2 that we didn't get into last week. And Chapter 3, verse 1, starts with another word that we've already talked about the past couple weeks, therefore. So there's a connectivity here. So the author of Hebrews, as they're writing this, this was one continued thought, a thought that just built upon itself. We have this tendency to kind of compartmentalize in our minds that, uh, well, since there's a chapter mark there, or since there's a verse mark, that means it's a completely different section. And if you're like me, sometimes I go to bed and I'm just like, okay, finish reading chapter two, so I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to read chapter three and it's going to start all over again. But that's not the case. So it's really important for us to connect the two here, and in particular, the very last statement out of chapter 2, which says, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, this is going back to let us know that we've got a God, we have a Savior that can that's sympathetic with us, that's empathetic with us, and that, that's really should be a big encouragement to all of us because we're not doing this on our own. You know, we're not looking at this detached deity that comes in and has no concept of what we're facing, has no grid or, or no blueprint of understanding of what we're facing in our lives because we have a great high priest. We have a Savior who came, who took on the form of man that in endured temptation, that endured trials and hardship. He, he had moments of victory. He had moments of joy and happiness, but then sadness and grief and sorrow. He had all of these things so that we do not have a high priest who is unfamiliar or unsympathetic towards what we're facing because that's ultimately kind of the, the temptation as to what we feel like, isn't it? When we're facing difficulties, when we're facing hard times, the first thing that our mind wants us to believe is that nobody's ever been through this before. Nobody knows this thing that I'm going through. They don't know the trouble that I'm facing. They don't, they don't understand my hardship. But that may be true of the people around us, but the encouraging thing here today is that we're seeing coming out of chapter 2 that we don't face that same thing. Now, last week we talked in regard to kind of really the first warning of paying close attention. And we're kind of 
finding another one here in chapter 3 to this, this challenge, this, this warning, this confrontation that the writer of Hebrews is really putting in our face because we have to remember the, the readers of this time, they were falling away from their faith. They were denouncing the faith. They were stepping into unbelief and they were apostate or that falling away in their relationship with Jesus Christ, which we've covered the past couple weeks. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, therefore, so it's connecting from us understanding that we have a high priest who is familiar with what we're going through, with the struggles we're facing, with all of this stuff. So let's read the entirety of chapter 3 in light of understanding that we're making a connection here. So chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you in an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses, and with whom... He was provoked for forty years. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's kind of break this passage down into a couple sections because we've got a lot going on here. The first section we see is verses 1 through 6. Now, the graphic that is going to be put up on your screen, there's a typo there. That's on me. I put verses 1 through 4, and it's 1 through 6. But we have to, have to remember, before that goes up on the screen, we have to remember Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now, that's where I'm going to uh, say that I made the mistake because I had 1, 1 through 4 on my mind as I developed the slide. But we see that... The setup, as we talked about in that sermon, the setup in his opening remarks, the author's opening remarks, set us up for the remainder of the book. 
that that is the truth of the foundation that everything else that the letter of Hebrews is building upon, that long ago God spoke to our fathers through many prophets many times, but now, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through, our, through his son. So let's use that to set up. But this first part, the first six verses of chapter 3, is really laying the foundation that Jesus Christ is a greater apostle and high priest than Moses. Now, that's a big statement because Moses is right up there. I mean, he's like the dude. Uh, there's an argument to be made uh, between the, the he and David. Maybe insert Abraham in there from the traditional Jewish belief as to who the greatest of all time is. I said yesterday in my message, I referenced them as the goat. And I said, you know, if we're talking about the Old Testament here, it's probably not the greatest to use the acronym that's, you know, since they sacrificed goats back then. But anyhow, anyhow, this is an, a guy that they had on such a pedestal. And still, the, the, the traditional Jewish believers still hold Moses in such high esteem. And now the writer of Hebrews is coming along and going, yeah, Jesus is greater than him. And he's greater than him in a couple different ways. Number one, he's a greater apostle. And the word apostle just means that it's someone who sent. So Jesus is a greater sent one than Moses. Because we know, out of Exodus, Moses was the one whom God sent to lead his people out of bondage and captivity in Egypt. But yet we have a greater apostle, we have a greater sent one, because Jesus was sent to us to pull us out of our bondage and captivity of sin. And that's what the writer's focusing on there. They're telling us Jesus is a greater, much greater apostle than even Moses. And then the writer builds onto that by saying that Jesus is even a greater high priest than Moses, which is a big deal. Big, big deal to the Jewish people because Moses was part of the institution of the priestly lineage, of the ones that were going to serve as intermediaries, as intercessors, as this role of being between the nation of Israel, the chosen people, the ones who followed God. They were going to serve as this bridge between them and God. Now, again, that is a massive role in someone's faith. And for generations, Moses has been at the pinnacle of that. Now, the writer of Hebrews is coming in and going, Jesus is greater than that. And it's not even close. So we have this part where he begins to talk about this house and this builder and that how every house uh, should receive a, an amount of glory for its craftsmanship. The builder of the house is also due glory because of his craftsmanship and his fine work. But he makes sure he goes underneath there and says, you know, Moses did a really good job as the builder. But it's through God that should receive the most glory. You want to know why? Because through Jesus, all things were created. Through Jesus, all things are sustained. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1. We see it in the Gospel of John. So he's saying that, yes, the house of Israel, the nation of Israel, deserves some glory because it was built. Moses deserves some glory because he was the one that helped to build this. But the one who created the very building materials out of 
everything and anything we could possibly construct or put together. That person is Jesus Christ, and he deserves far more praise than anybody. So systematically, the writer of Hebrews is breaking down this traditional Jewish mindset that they're wanting to fall back into of this exalting men, exalting patriarchs, exalting figures from the Old Testament over the Savior that they have given their heart to. And he's systematically breaking this down and saying Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And here's why. He's not just making the statement that Jesus is greater, you know, and just leaving that statement there. He's saying here's why. Then there's a shift. Okay, there's another section that we see that starts in verse 7 and goes all the way through verse 19, all the way through the rest of the chapter. And that basic theme of this section is an exhortation or a warning about falling away from the faith, falling into unbelief. He starts verses 7 through 11 by quoting Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, which talks about and makes reference to the nation of Israel and their, their falling away, their hard-headed tendencies, and in there he talks about their rebellion. Now, I'm going to put a list on the screen. There's eight things on here that I want you to take just a few moments on. I'm not going to speak over it, but I want you to look at those. And we're going to see things in there. One of them that you're going to see is strange fire. And I'm going to reference, I want you to reference Adab and Abihu. Priests in the Old Testament, look those up, strange fire. But there's so many more than just eight. But these are the ones I've chosen that I that I presented to the congregation yesterday. And I want you to take just a few moments and look over this list and see where the Israelites were having difficulty in their relationship with God. Now I want to ask you the question. How many of those eight have you seen in operation, whether they be past, current, or do you feel like you're trending that way in your future, of those struggles, those eight areas that we can pull from the nation of Israel, how many of those do you see having played a part in your life and your relationship with God? Yeah, yeah, all eight, right? I mean, at some point, we see that in our lives, all eight of them. But there's one that I really want to focus on for, for a good while here, and that's unbelief. Now, we need to fast forward again. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, because it has something to say about the Israelites and their unbelief. Verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And he's talking about entering the rest of the Lord, entering the promised land. See, because they came out of Egypt, they went into the wilderness, and all but two, all but two of the original people coming out of Egypt were able to step foot into the promised land. Now, we're going to cover this much more in detail next week. But we have to understand something here 
that it was not God's intent for them to die in the wilderness. But yet, because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter into the rest or into the promise that God has in their life. It's a dangerous thing for us. And we need to make sure that we're not falling into this same trap of unbelief because this is what the writer of Hebrews was addressing to the believers that he was writing to because they were starting to fall back into their old ways. They were letting unbelief dictate to them what was going to be happening in their lives. And the, the writer is going, listen, history is repeating itself here. And there we have it, don't we? How many times in our lives have we seen history repeat itself in us? Even when we know that the history that's, that, that we're either getting ready to step into or the history that we are currently repeating, even when we know that that's not beneficial to us, even when we know that's not what God wants, we have this falling back in our nature onto that d default button, you know, kind of like a Control-Alt-Delete-Reset-to-Default settings here. That's where we find ourselves is falling into this unbelief, and we find history repeating itself over and over and over again in our lives. That's what he's warning. That's what he's warning these believers this first century, early church believers, don't, don't fall back into unbelief. And the amazing thing about God's word to me is that is just as applicable to us today. Here's, here, here's something that I kind of want to unpack for us. We do not fight an enemy who is creative. Think about that for just a moment. The enemy of your soul, the devil, Satan, whatever we want to term him, he is not a creative enemy. He has one trick. He has one tactic. And he does nothing but that one tactic all the way from the beginning until current time. He just is a master of repackaging it and rebranding it for us to think that we are the very first ones to ever go through it or face something like this that nobody else in our current time nor in the annals of history have ever, ever faced this thing. And that one trick, that one thing, that one area that he continues to hit us with that he repackages and that he rebrands can be summed up in one word, and that is deceit. The devil is a liar. He is a deceiver. At the very core of who he is, that is his nature, and he can't produce anything other than that. Go all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden. He deceived Adam and Eve into believing they weren't something that they already were. Because in the creation story, it tells us that God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, mankind was made in the likeness of God. And the original temptation and the original deceit and the lie was that, oh, he doesn't want you eating of that tree because in that day he knows that you're going to be like him. They were already made in the likeness of God. They were already created in the image of God. And the devil deceived them into believing that they were not something that they actually were.
And he does the same thing with you and I. He just rebrands it. He just repackages it. He deceives us in our lives and thinking that the areas that we struggle against, that no one has ever done this before. No, and if they have, nobody's ever experienced this before. I'm the first one. There's something wrong with me. I'm on an island out here all by myself. There's no one that can sympathize with me. There's no one who can relate to me. Nobody shares this same struggle. But yet we're coming off of chapter 2, verse 18, that says, we do not have a high priest who is unfamiliar with what we go through. We serve a Savior. That's the truth. That's the deception that the enemy, that is the truth that he tries to pull us away from and into this island mentality that we are all alone. See, it's history repeating itself. We see it in our culture. We see it in our government. We see it in our economics. We see it in our policy. We see it in our morals. We see it in the way that culture has, has morphed and moves around. It's a cyclical thing. It looks different. But it's simply history repeating itself. And we are deceived at our core when we think that we're facing or doing or experiencing something that's brand new to mankind because the devil is a liar and he wants you to fall into discouragement and despair believing that you are all alone in this. So let's look at Hebrews 3.13. And I'm going to start winding down with this because this is probably one of the biggest keys in this passage, in this chapter is verse 13. So let's read that together. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, some translations of this say exhort. Some say encourage. But there's one. And, and, and those, are, those are correct. Those are accurate translations. But I think that sometimes... We were a little bit tone deaf, especially to the word encouragement, because we in, we view the word encouragement as a pat on the back, like a at a boy, keep it up, doing good, walk the walk, keep going. That's not what this is here. Okay, this is a rebuke. This is a warning. And the New Living Translation says, "Warn one another daily." while it is today, because this isn't an encouraging topic, because it's telling us to warn one another about the dangers of falling into the deceitfulness of sin. Warn each other about the deceitfulness of falling into unbelief and doubt and fear. Warn each other not to fall into this trap of the enemy when he uses that one tool against you. It may be completely repackaged from something that you've ever faced before, but continually warn each other. Encourage one another, exhort one another not to fall back into the deceitfulness of sin where we've already been delivered from because we had a great high priest. We had an apostle, a sent one who was greater than Moses to pull us out of our bondage, to pull us out of our captivity, and to pull us out of our sin and believing the sinful nature. Warn one another daily as it is today. Now, I want to reference really quickly in my closing, Matthew chapter 13. There we find Jesus teaching from a boat a crowd of people. And he's talking about a parable in which he references a sower who is sowing seed on different types of soil. He says that the first soil is the roadbed. It's hard. There's, there's nothing 
there. It's just packed down soil. The second one is rocky soil that, that's got a really rugged terrain and very shallow depth of soil. The third one talks about uh, growing this soil that is choked out by thistles, by this overgrowth. And the fourth one, he says, is good soil. Now, the differences in these, the, when he begins to explain the parable a little bit later in Matthew 13, he says that the, the seed that's cast and sowed upon the roadbed is not going to take root because it's going to get trampled down, it's got no place to go in the soil, and it's not going to bear any type of fruit because it has nowhere to grow. In the second example, in the rocky soil, he says that it's, it's shallow soil and it may begin to take root, but it's going to get plucked up by the birds because there's no root system there. There's nothing for it to dig its root down, roots down in and to develop a foundation. He says that the third, even though the soil may be deep, it's growing all kinds of weeds. It has all kinds of overgrowth. It has all kinds of briars and thistles in there, and it's going to choke it out. It's not going to allow the sunlight to get in there. It's not going to allow the proper rainfall to get in there, and it's just going to simply choke the life out of it. It's the worries, the cares of the world, the, the things that the enemy throws at us that constantly chokes out what God wants to do. But then the last soil, the good soil, the deep soil, the rich soil, the soil that's ready to receive it, can multiply that seed and produce fruit far beyond, a harvest far beyond the capability that we can produce in and of ourselves. You see, in that parable, God is the sower. And the seeds are the seeds of the kingdom of God. If what God wants in your life, we could call them that it's seeds of his will, seeds of his plan, seeds of his provision that's planted in your life. So we don't control who, who the sower is. We don't even control what the seed is. But one thing that we do have somewhat of an amount of control over is what kind of soil is his, is his plan. Is his will, is that kingdom seed falling on in your life? You see, I think that when we begin to fall back into unbelief, then, then we become one of those soils that progressively, we may have started with good soil, but then as more and more that we face challenges, more and more we're tempted and we fall into this deceitfulness and the cares of this world is, is weighing down on us, then maybe we go from that really good soil to that soil that's still okay, but it's got so many cares. It's got so many burdens. It's got so many sorrows. And even it's got so many good things that are growing in there too that we're not allowing enough space for the seed of the will of God to work and grow in our lives. We're not getting enough light in there. We're not getting enough rain. There's not enough nourishment that's happening in our lives. And then maybe, maybe we fall a little bit more into that unbelief, into that deceit, into that, that, that game plan, that battle strategy that our enemy has against us. And we move from